0: Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I hope you're still well. We've almost survived 2020, unless you're listening to this when it's already 2021. Otherwise, only a few more days to go. I'm in the process of putting together a Patreon page, so starting in January, you can join me as a patron uh, to get early access, some bonus content, um, maybe even join me to discuss a topic of your choice. I'm still working out some of the details, but by the time you hear this, um, or by the time January rolls around, it will be all set. I don't know, maybe it's because this disaster movie of a year is finally nearing its close. Um, But I'm feeling really hopeful right now, and I hope you're feeling the same. Um, And I really hope that 2021 doesn't tell 2020 to hold its beer. Uh, Today, we have another Odyssey episode. We are up to book 18. Odysseus is still disguised as an old beggar, um, but he has made it to the palace. He is still mostly hanging out in that liminal place, the doorway, um, which causes some problems when another beggar, a man named Iros, I-R-O-S, not to be confused with the goddess Iris, um, enters the scene. He wants to have that prime begging spot in the doorway to the palace and challenges Odysseus to a fight. Odysseus warns Iros that he may look old, but he's still pretty strong. The suitors are amused by this argument Um, between the two beggars, and Antinous, of course, decides that the best thing would be to have a proper fight, like proper boxing match. Um, And whoever wins gets to stay at the palace and gets this nice, I mean, well, the description of it, um, it sounds a lot like haggis to me, but uh, since we're in Greece, it probably isn't technically haggis, but that's what I'm going to call it for right now. Um, there's this nice haggis that's roasting on the fire and the winner of the fight gets the haggis too. So they get to stay at the palace and they get this haggis. Um, and the, the two beggars gird their loins and Athena, of course, has to step in to transform Odysseus again. Not as much as she did a few books ago, um, but enough to make him look surprisingly buff, given the disguise that he's been wearing. Um, and Of course, Odysseus wins the fight, Uh, but he makes sure to win by just a little so that the suitors can't figure out his true identity. The suitors get a kick out of it. In addition to his haggis, um, that in the Fitzgerald translation I'm using is now called a blood pudding, which isn't quite the same thing as haggis, so anyway, um, in addition to the blood pudding, he gets two loaves of bread. I mean, if you're a beggar, this is is a pretty, pretty nice deal here. Amphinomus um, is the suitor to deliver these gifts to Odysseus, and he is very kind to the old beggar. He wishes good things for the future, that this, this is a harbinger of, of better times. Um, and Odysseus reminds Amphinomus of what a good man his father was, or at least that's what he's heard, you know, not really being from Ithaca and all. Odysseus then goes on to offer a word of friendly advice to Amphinomus about being a good man about following the laws of man and well, it doesn't exactly say this but Zeus you know being being a good guest which Zeus oversees that guest host relationship um and Amphinomus feels it he knows that he's behaved badly But the poet tells us that it doesn't matter. Athena won't let him escape, and he will fall to a spear thrown by Telemachus. Now that I've mentioned Athena, well, she decides to spice things up a bit and gives Penelope the idea that she should go and show herself to the suitors. She calls her housekeeper Eurymy and tells her what she wants to do. Eurynome suggests maybe she take a bath first, and Penelope refuses. But she does want her maids, um, Atanoe and Hippodamia, uh, or Hippodamea, to come with her. Um, Eurynome goes to fetch them. While she's gone, Athena casts sleep over Penelope and then transforms her so that when Eurynome gets back, it looks like she did more than take the bath that she'd refused. After she's woken up, Penelope, Atonoe, and hippodamea go downstairs. She pauses to berate Telemachus for letting the beggar be so poorly treated in their house. and Telemachus tells her that it's okay because the beggar defeated Iris in the fight. Penelope and the suitors then have an altercation is too strong of a word, so I'll call it a conversation instead, um, which doesn't seem like a strong enough word, but better than altercation um, and this concludes with Penelope saying that Odysseus told her only to wait for him until their son could grow a beard and Telemachus is now grown presumably he has the ability to grow facial hair now um, depends you know some guys it takes longer for it to, <laughs> to work for them than others but maybe um, but so now she must choose a new husband because she has remained faithful to Odysseus as long as she'd promised him that she would. Um, However, it is customary for a bride to be wooed with gifts. So she tells the suitors that they should bring their gifts so that she can decide whose gifts are best, and therefore who she should marry. Um, And the suitors do bring gifts. And, of course, we get a list of what they are, and I will let you read it for yourself. It is not as long as the Catalog of Women that we read earlier or any of the catalogs that we saw in the Iliad. Um, But it is still too long to summarize. Odysseus is tickled with this new stalling tactic, and Penelope goes back to her room. The suitors go back to their revelries, and it's getting late, so the maids come to light the torches. Odysseus speaks to them, urging them to go attend to Penelope and not the suitors, but they just laugh and scoff. And the suitors keep up their mockery, too, because Athena wants Odysseus to be humiliated. Nice. It gets heated enough that Eurymachus throws his footstool at Odysseus. He misses and hits one of the servants instead. Telemachus decides that's enough and suggests that everyone should go home to bed. They grumble but finally agree and the book ends with the suitors meandering home to their beds. I'm sure you keep thinking that we're going to get to the part of the story where Odysseus finally drives the suitors out. And I swear that will finally happen, but it really does take a while to get there. And honestly, it's easy to forget how many books there are between the time Odysseus lands on Ithaca and the time the story finally reaches its climax. I mean, you forget when you think of the Odyssey, you think of, of those first, you know, like 10 books, really. Um, forgetting that there are 14 more books beyond that, um, beyond that point, and not even those first 10. You, you think of like a selection of books from that. Cause the first four again are the Telemachy, not, not really Odysseus' story. They're Telemachus' story. Um, so, so when you when you look back at what you've read. Um, there are so many exciting parts that you forget how much there is in between those exciting parts which given how liminal this book is um makes sense um anyway I do swear that that it will it will finally happen um this is another book that is a lot about fate Athena is very busy in this book. She intervenes in Odysseus's fight with Iros. She inspires Penelope and then some. She eggs the suitors on in their taunts of Odysseus. Um, So are there any instances of free will in this book? Do people have free will or is it all the gods everything that God's doing I mean and seriously what is the deal with Athena casting sleep over Penelope all the time I mean it was one thing when she's grieving and crying and just that is such an exhausting state to be in that sleep is a release but like in this book you know she's convinced her to say hey I want to go talk to the suitors and then puts her to sleep So that she can be transformed. I mean, Athena never puts Odysseus to sleep before she transforms him. She just transforms him. So why can't she just transform Penelope, say, as she's walking down the stairs? It's a double standard, I tell you. (laughs) Not that Athena is very kind to Odysseus in this book. Um, The poet clearly states that Athena wants the suitors to berate Odysseus. And in the Fitzgerald translation, he uses the word mortified. Athena wants Odysseus to be mortified. Um, Which just makes me think of like the letters that would go into teen fashion magazines like oh this happened I had a pimple and I was mortified or this this thing happened to me and I was mortified. But you know that's that's how she wants him to feel just like he'd rather be dead what a what a great friend athena is it makes you wonder what how does she actually like odysseus i mean she claims that that he's her favorite hero but um who knows anyway um, and the other thing that stood out to me on this reading is the end this is not the first time that we've seen the suitors go home to bed they have homes to go to homes that are close enough to reach easily so why are they spending all of their time at the palace um it is it is toxic masculinity at its finest this belief that the only way they can convince penelope to marry them is by always being present um this belief that whatever is hers is obviously theirs it, it I mean they're they're not nice men for the most part um, some have these brief moments where they almost redeem themselves, like we saw um, saw in this book, but we also are told by the poet, that I'm like, yeah, too little too late, your fate's already sealed. Um, so again, is there free will? Um, so, you know, if, <laughs> if this story had a slightly different ending, and Odysseus really, really is were dead and really never came back from Troy, even though we know that's not how the story goes. But if, if it really did go that way, I'd, I'd hope that Penelope would have picked whichever suitor, like never showed his face at the palace or, you know, just like treated her with the utmost respect, Um, you know, respected her personal space and her home and her property and her son. And cause, just because that would show the rest of them. Um, but it doesn't matter. We already know that she's not going to pick any of the suitors. um, So alternative endings to the Odyssey are beside the point. Um, The point is that when this story is frequently presented, there's this implication that the suitors have just moved into the palace, but they haven't. They're eating Telemachus and Penelope out of house and home, but then they go to their own homes to go to bed each night. Um, And I'd either forgotten that or I straight up didn't notice it any of the other times that I've read this. Um, And I don't know. I've lost track. Um, I do know by the time I finished my bachelor's degree, I had read it at least five times. So I've I've read The Odyssey a lot. Um, And I don't know how I missed that before. So what do you think? Um, Why haven't the suitors just taken up residence at the palace? And why is Athena so? I don't even know what the word to I don't know what word to use. Um, why is she so whatever in this book? What do you think of Odysseus now? Pop over to the blog and share your thoughts. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. On Monday we have another comedy Plautus's Asinaria. Ah, uh, talk to you then.